And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4-6 to with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. Bill Landis joined, as always, by Ari Wasserman, and we sit here. It is October. We're like three weeks away from the first Ohio State football game, Ari. Yeah, I had to wake up super early and take my girlfriend to the airport on Thursday morning, and it was like a brisk 55, 60 degrees, and it like I felt like Rudy walking across Notre Dame campus. You know, hear the music <laughs> playing in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Uh, honestly, it seems like an eternity ago that we were uh, in June wondering what we were going to be doing in October, and I'm I'm very relieved and happy to see that this is what we're doing. So it, it's uh, nice. The weather's changing. We got the Jets on Thursday night. Like everybody, everything's coming up. Ari and Bill, I think. <laughs> Have you heard from the Jets? <laughs> I think but, you should tell people that story because it's the most ridiculous thing. And I don't know if it's like something that only you and I would think is funny, but like we we're at the NFL Combine, yeah, you and there's the this reporter who, and we were just like interviewing Ohio State players, like writing interesting stories about them trying to get into the NFL. And there was this reporter. I don't even know who it was or where he was from. But he was walking around to every single podium. And mind you, there's like a hundred of them. How many people go to the combine? Like 350? Yeah, that's a pretty big number. He was asking every single player if they had heard from the Jets. Hey, have you heard from the Jets? And then they'd be like, yeah or no. And then he would walk away. And it's like, I don't know if you're <laughs> compiling it, but isn't the whole point of the freaking combine to like hear from teams? Like, I don't like know what, what information. Like that person spent his day at, I, I think about it regularly. So every single, and it's the thing too is that of all the teams that you could have been asking about, the Jets are the funniest one. Yeah. Like, if you heard from the Bears, it wouldn't have been as funny. The fact that it was the Jets is so funny to me. 
Here, here is what the NFL Combine experience is like if you're a media member. It's NFL writers going around asking players if they've interviewed with the team that they cover, and then it's Ohio State beat writers asking Ohio State players about all the young guys who are coming to replace them. That's all that happens. Yeah, and Ohio State beat writers asking other opposing players what it was like to play against Ohio State. Right? <laughs> hey, uh, guy from Indiana, just how, how awesome is Ohio State? Like, they're really good, right? <laughs> and that guy's, like, yeah. getting the biggest job interview of his life, and he's going to talk about getting owned by Chase Young. Yeah. Every now and then, Landis will pop out of the woodwork and send me a text or say hey have you heard from the jets and i crack up every time because it's just like how i don't know how bad at your job can you possibly be sorry if you're listening to the person who's doing it but man sorry. there's no insight like there's nothing i i don't i have thought about this for two years since it happened and i don't know like what was the story i've searched how many people i've heard from the jets and like even if 350 out of 350 people heard from the jets how was that insightful to the people who are reading the story you just want to know who's interviewing with who man yeah it's the yeah, only information that matters. It's like going to a job interview and like asking the people who are waiting in line to interview if they've heard from the person they're being interviewed by. <laughs> That's actually exactly what it is. All right. We're doing a mailbag show, our second show this week. If you would like to be someone who submits questions for the mailbag, theathletic.com slash four dash six is still getting you $1 per month on an annual subscription. We will also take questions through Apple uh, five-star reviews. We had one this week, which actually worked very nicely with another question we had from an athletic subscriber. So sign up for The Athletic. Leave us a five-star review. You can ask questions there. We appreciate all you guys who did that. We've got about 18 questions. We're going to get through all of them. What do you say we dive right into it? Okay, but actually, can I be kind of annoying and like write, uh, like preview or tell people about a story of mine and then like relate it to Ohio State? Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. The... I wrote a story, and you helped me with this behind the scenes, college football, the five college football programs facing the biggest obstacles. And um, that's about geography. It's about um, how tough it is to, like, get to the places, the conferences they play in, all that stuff. The five highest obstacles, the, the schools, just to say, were Washington State, Syracuse, um, Can- uh, Oregon State, Kansas State, and Vanderbilt. And next month, the reason why I'm bringing this up is, A, I want you to go read that story. I want you to go back and like the picture. Um, I want you to go read it, but also I think I'm going to do the, the five programs with the least obstacles. And I think Ohio State might be number one on that list, so I just wanted to ask you if you think that's where they would belong. Uh, to preview what I'm writing in a month. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have them because I mean it's the backyard thing. It doesn't have the most talent in its backyard, but the other places that do, I guess maybe the only other one I would consider is LSU. And LSU would be on the list. USC, Georgia, I think, also Texas, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, I just thought that it'd be interesting to look at it from the other dynamic, and it's like as we try to put into context every week about why Ohio State is good and why they're uh, a team that's annually in a national championship discussion. Um, I think that's part of the reason why. So um, it's kind of like a sneaky way to promote the story that I wrote on Thursday, but also a way to kind of preview like how we frame Ohio State um, in the recruiting realm. So thank you for indulging me on that. You're welcome. And it's actually a nice lead into our first question from Brian H. He writes, Ohio State has not lost a conference game at home since the Michigan State debacle of 2015. Until that changes, I don't see any possible way any other team can be seen as a contender in the Big Ten East, let alone the rest of the conference. Since this 2020 schedule is a complete cakewalk, when do you foresee it happening in the future? I don't think there is currently a coach in place at any of the Big Ten schools that is good enough at X's and O's and recruiting to pull it off. Agree or disagree? 
Like, is Ohio State never going to lose a game at home again? Is that the question? Um, I think he's asking, is Ohio State ever not going to be the Big Ten champion? Yeah, I, I think they're going to lose at home again. I mean, it's football. It happens. I uh, Don't they always – I feel like typically, too, and I think historically that, that loss you don't see coming happens at home more than it happens on the road for them. Does it? Maybe. I might have just made that up. Virginia the Tech, Michigan the State, the last Virginia two were on Tech. the road. Yeah, the last two were on the road. Virginia Tech – the thing that's interesting about the question, and it's like the reason why the 2015 loss to Michigan State is probably the biggest mind-boggling uh, loss that they've had is because it was a team that doesn't really recruit all that well. And like Michigan State knew what it was, and it, it did what it was very well, but they lost to a Michigan State team that was dwarfed in talent because um, that was the 15 team, though mismanaged, might have been the most talented team in Ohio State history. And Michigan State was playing with its second-string quarterback, too. So, like, that was such an odd loss. I think it's just a reminder that, like, as I arrogantly say, upsets never happen to Ohio State because they don't. Like, Urban Meyer, like, lost how many games in his seven years? Nine? Nine. And I think, like, five of those losses were to teams they shouldn't have lost to, which is a pretty unbelievable statistic when you actually kind of break it down. Like, they were um, – I don't know, maybe over 500 having lost only four games in, in – to teams that could have beat them and then the other five were unexpected and like I don't know maybe the Clemson Orange Bowl the Clemson playoff games uh, I don't know how you want to break that down but like it has to be the perfect storm that's for sure like what Brian's saying is true like I don't think anybody can come into Ohio Stadium and beat them but like I think the obvious answer here is probably Penn State right now and then maybe even Michigan if you want to like put some faith into the top 10 class that they're about to sign and Harbaugh actually getting something done I think that's those are the two candidates um but like upsets at home happen all the time for weird reasons and you know it's hard to predict them I just think that that's why it's so shocking when they happen so yeah like that's like I don't think you're supposed to be able to say well Ohio State's gonna lose to Penn State at home in 2022 like I think if they lose to a Penn State or a Michigan or Nebraska like it's one of those games where people leave the stadium with a gut punch um, and like if we would have preview, when we previewed and when we talked about the 2015 Michigan State game I don't think either of us or Doug who we worked with at the time gave any credence to the fact that Ohio State could lose that game especially with Connor Cook out so it's very hard to predict sometimes the reverse line movement <laughs> before games is kind of an indication I remember it was happening against Purdue like in the first in the 30 minutes leading up to the kickoff that line was like acting weird I think it was like 15 and then went down to like 11 and I was like, what's going on here? And then sure enough, it happened. So, you know, you might want to call like the uh, the linesman at, at the MGM and, and ask him when the next time that's going to happen. Um, it's going to happen. I just couldn't. It'd be disingenuous to act act like I knew when. Like it's it's shocking and surprising. Yeah, the the, the landmine will, will never go away. And that's true for every team. Um, going broader than that, the idea like Ohio State is this never not going to be the odds on favorite to win the Big Ten unless some kind of crippling like NCAA thing happens or like something to really derail the program. I just don't see it happening. Like maybe a bad coaching hire after Ryan day leaves, whenever that might be. Uh, but, but short of something like catastrophic like that, I agree with Brian's premise that nothing's ever going to change, but I think the gap can be closed a little bit. Um, and I, I think the point of like, there's not a coach that there's a combination of X's and O's in recruiting that, that scares you. I think there's guys who are good at one or the other. Um, but nothing, no one that kind of puts it together like Ryan day. And like at the risk of sending like a gigantic Homer, 
is probably the best combination of that in the conference at the moment. Like, is there anybody else in the conference you would put above him if when, when analyzing those two things together, X's and O's and recruiting? I mean, it's like, how could you possibly like pick somebody else? Like, it's like, even if you wanted to try to be objective and we try and pride ourselves on that in this podcast, just like nobody is even the same galaxy as uh, Ohio State is in the recruiting realm. And then in turn, I think it makes it easier for any competent coach to scheme up a plan. When you have the superior talent, even if you're above average, like I'd love to see like what Jeff, what Jeff Brom could do um, with Ohio State's talent. And I'm sorry if you can hear that dog barking, but uh, life happens. And uh, yeah, like Jeff Brom might be the X's and O's answer, right? Brom is probably my X's and O's answer. Yeah. Although like Wisconsin, like Wisconsin's offense is not sexy at all, but it does some cool stuff like Paul Christ. And it's a thing that's been in place there for a while, but Paul Christ does some cool stuff. Yeah. But nobody does both. Cause it's just like, I mean, Ryan day had the NFL thing and, and, and his, um, you know, background is, has always been with developing quarterbacks. And I think that like, that's the pure genius. And I think like really, and like, I know people are so annoyed with me saying this, but like, I think 85% of the college job is recruiting. And I think the X's and O's part is secondary. And of course, like Purdue, when they beat Ohio state a few years ago, drew up a plan with their tight ends who, um, I mean, Iowa, Iowa, not Purdue, sorry, um, drew up a, a plan with their tight ends that really caught Ohio state slipping. And then they didn't have the ability with the defensive staff to adjust in game to contain those guys. And both of those guys are in the NFL right now. And you ripped me off for one of them in the fantasy league. Um, yeah, but, um, and then Rondale Moore is just kind of a freak that got into space and, you know, they, they game planned a good, um, plan around him to beat Ohio state. No, Ohio, no team is going to beat Ohio state without a great game plan. The reason why this is so hard to fathom is because no team is able to recruit in the same galaxy as them, which makes like, like how much better at X's and O's would you have to be to beat them because of that? Like, it's like not even something that I can compute with, which is why I think talent is so important, why I continually am on that Stars Matter uh, bandwagon and yelling it into the into the abyss, even though nobody's even listening at this point anymore. It's just like so abundantly clear what's more important here. Yeah, which is why, like, no one no one recruits at the same level as Ohio State, and I think the only two programs that would even have the ability to do that are probably Penn State and Michigan, but even their ceiling, I think, is slightly lower than what Ohio State's doing right now. Actually, probably considerably lower than what Ohio State is doing right now. But there's also something to be said, like, for, for knowing who you are and recruiting to your system well, which is what I think Wisconsin does, and, and I think Penn State does it too. Uh, and my answer to this, I think I'd feel differently about someone coming to knock off Ohio state, if Penn state ever got to the position where it's recruiting quarterbacks, like on the same level that it's recruiting most other positions and not that Penn state's a world beater in recruiting. They've had some down years under James Franklin, but they can get five-star prospects. They, they recruit in, in pretty um, fertile recruiting grounds and Pennsylvania itself is, is a decent enough state to recruit in. But until they were like get an NFL quarterback or routinely you're getting NFL quarterbacks, it just doesn't scare me long-term. And Michigan, I think, could potentially get NFL quarterbacks and has guys in the pipeline who, who might fit that mold. But their plan just seems so disjointed to me that that, that doesn't scare me long-term either until they kind of figure out who they are and what they want to be and where they want to go. Um, I think they're more along the lines of a team that might be able to punch up every now and then, but not a team that's going to routinely contend against Ohio State to win the Big Ten. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what the reason is for this, Bill, and we've kind of talked about this in the past, but like – some teams just like compete against Ohio state better. And like Penn state has done a really good job of that. Yeah. And like Penn state's 2021 classes is like a disaster right now. But like for whatever reason, despite the talent discrepancy and 
really they haven't really had a transcendent talent at quarterback like Penn State has given Ohio State all they can handle. And even though the 2020 game was more of a blowout than the score indicated, the previous two years came down to the wire. So, like, to me, another upset like that could have happened uh, in 2019 or whenever the last time they played them at home was. So, that would be 2018. So, you know, Penn State, I think, would be my my first pick if I had to pick another Big Ten team to beat them at home and when would it happen next. But, like, also it's much harder for a team like Purdue or Iowa to sneak up on the road. There's no question about that. How much does the idea – like, he's, I don't think he'll be the starter this year, but he'll be the starter next year and probably for the next couple of years. And Ohio State's schedule is changing to the point where they're going to start playing Wisconsin in the regular season again in the next next schedule cycle. Like, Graham Mertz at Wisconsin is a kid that a lot of people like. I think he's considered to be a notch above what Wisconsin's had at quarterback over the last forever. Um, does he do anything to, like – I don't know, get your ears perked up a little bit about what kind of step Wisconsin might be able to take take forward if he is, in fact, like an NFL caliber quarterback. Yeah, do you want me to go on my rant about how he's not playing now, like now, or do you no, want to wait later? Okay, no, like let's I, not I do just, that yet. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that like a legitimate, bona fide, high-end four, five-star quarterback going to Wisconsin, considering the fact that Wisconsin's accomplished quite a bit with boring – semi-capable quarterbacks is a very intriguing thing because it adds an element to like what Wisconsin is. We know what, what, what Wisconsin is and they recruit well to that great offensive lineman, great running backs. And, you know, they've had some pretty interesting skill position players before. Like, I mean, that Cephas guy was incredible. Wasn't he in the league now? Yeah. Quintus like they, Cephas, Danny yeah, Davis. Yeah. Like yeah he, they've had some guys. Abernaris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They've had guys and I don't know if they've ever had anybody that's more than just a distributor at quarter, distributor at a quarterback. So like, you know, we've seen games where Ohio State's been on the ropes. Wisconsin, I think, Ohio State on the ropes more than any team last year before the Clemson game. Um, obviously, you know, it's a Big Ten championship. It's a little bit of a different atmosphere. But, like, you know, it's like you really the, – the way that you can tell Ohio State is in a very healthy spot, though, is that you really have to do mental gymnastics to try to figure out a way for them to lose at home. Yep. And, like, uh, you know – that's a really good sign. Does it happen? Yes. It's college football. Crazy stuff happens all the time, but like trying to like put it in perspective and like put it into reason, like why that would happen. You know, I guess like what was the pregame analysis for the Iowa game? Did anybody think, well, Ohio state better get on these tight ends or they're going to torch them for four touchdowns. Like, or did like my pregame analysis for the Iowa game was look how awesome JT Barrett was in the fourth quarter. Here comes the Heisman trophy winner. (laughs) And then he threw four picks. My pregame analysis for the Iowa game was why didn't we go to the machine shed and have mashed potatoes? Also a good question. I think both were just as accurate as uh, what anybody else would have written about what happened in that game. So, you know, Ohio State's kind of a juggernaut in a, in a conference that doesn't have any other ones. I, I, like, continuously, like, am ranting and, like, hoping that one day there will be other ones because I find it to be more interesting, more entertaining, and, and frankly, a better fan experience. Um, I think Michigan should be much better as I've been on record a thousand times. I think Penn State could be better. I, I don't know if they've reached their ceiling yet. I think that you have an interesting perspective uh, being from Pennsylvania uh, on that. Um, but like I think Wisconsin ha- is what it is. Maybe Mertz brings them up a little bit more than their ceiling was. But like Wisconsin was you know, the epitome of what they were a year ago. I mean, Michigan State too. I think Mel Tucker is an interesting person to kind of keep track of because like my – my thought process there is given his past and, you know, his um, 
experience recruiting the Midwest that it's possible that he could duplicate when Mark D'Antonio did because I think that that's the the bona fide plan there and if he could duplicate that you know get those under the radar players take overs take some of the leftovers out of Ohio develop a team over the course of two or three years and make a really good top 10 team um, maybe that team is most uh, prone or apt to sneak up on Ohio State but like as you look at the schedule this year and then into the future, based on the recruiting rankings we're looking at right now, I mean, Iowa's about to sign a top 25 class. I don't know. Like, it just, it's it's like you have to bend over backwards to make a case for it. And really, the truth is, is that when it happens, it's just shocking. Yeah. Right, we'll move on <clears throat> to the next question. Uh, and not to harp on the 2015 loss, but it's part of this question, too. Uh, from Michael S., he writes, Stuart Mandel's bowl projections have the Buckeyes playing Alabama in the conference, or sorry, college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. And he says, how awesome would it be to think about Clemson being the entree after that kind of appetizer? It is awesome. And he says, the last time I was excited for a season before it started in the same way as he is right now was in 2015. Is there any chance that Ohio State relives that horror again? No. (laughs) I don't think so. Not with this schedule. Well, I mean, Ohio State in 2015 sucked against overmatched teams. So, like, I think that the real problem from the 15 season, Bill, was that the players had already won one. And I think psychologically, a lot of them were still like, just like they're, they had one more year of eligibility they had to play out, but they were already in the league. They also had some interesting characters running the offense. And, um, you know, we've hashed hat and rehashed that a thousand times. Um, I think Urban Meyer, uh, in an honest moment, would tell you that's the biggest blunder of his coaching career. Um, and like this year, this team is like heartbroken, hungry, and like overcame obstacles enough already to be even playing this season. Like, I think the mindset is a really powerful thing in the sport. And like, I don't think that you could create a, a mindset or a um, keep fighting mentality, though I sometimes think that stuff is overrated. Um, a better one for Ohio State going into this year. So like in terms of focus and desire and wanting to win a national championship, you've got players that could be in the league right now making money who are back to try to win one. Like I don't really see any parallels whatsoever uh, between uh, the 15 season and then in this season um, if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship and that's certainly the possibility it's probably the likelihood because winning one is so hard um, other things could happen maybe like COVID related mistakes or whatever that that happened like because they hadn't prepared or had spring football or, or whatever or the craziness that we're seeing in the sport right now but I don't think it's going to be a lack of of offensive um, continuity or um players losing passion because they already had a ring and all the other things like the 2015 team should have started a dynasty and things kind of went the other way and Ohio State lost their spot to Clemson and like now that they're in this position with maybe the best quarterback they've ever had chasing Clemson I think that the desire to get back into the spot that they were heading into the 15 season is the goal of this year not not any parallel to what happened that year yeah, I agree. The mindset's totally different. They know who their quarterback is. <clears throat> I don't think there's any chance, really, that, that it plays out like 2015, at least not throughout the course of the year. It could feel the same after the year if they don't want a title. But. Are there any teams in the Big Ten right now that are as good as 2015 Michigan State, too? And like Michigan State 2015 wasn't a national champion. Can um, Realistic national champion favorite. They made the playoff and got, got exposed, but like still was a very deep, good, talented team. And like I don't even know who I would compare to them on this year's schedule or in this conference. I don't think they're – I don't know. I Like, Michigan, if, like, Joe Milton's good, maybe. Um, yeah. But I don't know if he's going to be good or not. So, no, I just don't – I don't People think, think he's going to be good. Year. I'm excited to watch him play. A, All indications a, is that he's got a rocket. Got a big old arm on him, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, next question, Ryan H. 
What is the disconnect with offensive line recruiting? I'm no expert, but why is there excitement around adding a three-star lineman from Indiana? And we've talked about this topic a lot before. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but the three-star line. Should I go get a drink and let you yeah, go? Yeah, yeah. Go, ahead. go see what that, what's going on with that dog, and I'll meet you back in 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. The three-star lineman that uh, Ryan is referencing is Zen Mahowski. He's a tackle from Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, right outside of Louisville. Was committed to Louisville, got an Ohio State offer, got some other offers. He decommitted from Louisville this weekend, and I think he is, you know, he's on the clock to commit to Ohio State. It might even happen before you listen to this podcast. Um, and it's like a tricky situation. I think you should be excited about him because he is a kind of an intriguing player. He's a riser, which is always good. He's lowly rated, but it, that won't be the case by the time he's done. I think it's possible he's like a top 300 player by the time he's done, which is a decent offensive line prospect. Uh, he's really big. He's long. He's got like ideal tackle size. He's a little lean, but I think you'd rather be that maybe than someone who's bigger who has to come down on weight. Moves really well. Like I like his tape. His, his Cincinnati Elder tape they played earlier this year was the game they played like right before he got his offer. He looked really good in that game, and we know Elder's a, a traditionally pretty good program in the state of Ohio. So I like him as a prospect, and I think you should like adding him to this class. It's just the idea of you're going after him late because you missed on all your other top targets. Like if they were adding Tristan late and this kid, awesome. Like that's the, that's the formula for me, but they're in this, this rut again, if you want to call it that, where they're going to have to take some lowly rated, lower rated offensive tackles because they didn't get any of their top guys. And I think Mahalski is a pretty good consolation, but again, you want to see Greg Stoudraba go out and get studs, no pun intended. And he hasn't done that at the tackle position in another cycle. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm just not speaking out of respect. No, you can, if you have something to say, you can chime in. I don't know. Like the disconnect thing is interesting. I don't, I don't understand. Stud does is doing better with kids in Ohio. Um, and that includes like five-star guys like Paris Johnson. It includes Donovan Jackson in this class. who has got ties to Ohio, Ben Crispin. Like these are all really good players and Ohio state should have them. And they're going to be, they're going to be important pieces for Ohio state moving forward. But I don't know why he can't go out and get Tristan lay out of Virginia or JC Latham out of, Where's he from? Florida? Or he goes to IMG. I don't think he's actually from Florida. Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's still it's still not happening, and it's still not good enough. But that doesn't mean that Zem Mahowski won't be a good player for Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's this is more of what we've we've talked about time and time again. It's like the hope here, too, is that, like, he's able to evaluate someone who is a riser and hit on that person, and that person turns out to be much better than their recruiting profile indicates. And I think a lot of times Ohio State's taking kids that are bodies for depth reasons, 
and like there's a difference between taking bodies and getting guys onto the roster and having enough to have 15 offensive linemen on your team um, and finding somebody who truly is a gem and like might not have the rankings yet might rise in the rankings. And then when he shows up, like as a starter in year two and like, you have to trust that your offensive line coach can like take the things that you were saying about lean body and somebody needs to put on weight and, you know, strength and game tape and can look at this kid and say, Hey, you know what? We need an offensive lineman. This guy isn't a national recruit from the sense that I've got to c- compete against Alabama, Texas, and USC to get him. Um, this is somebody that's attainable and I know is going to be a hit for us. And like that also needs to take into, you know, you need to take that into account. Um, and like, I don't know how you would grade Stud's ability to do that in the past. Um, a lot of times, either been like high profile, can't miss prospect or three star player who's never going to play here. And there really hasn't been much in between. But I kind of feel like this is more of a tweener. Um, situation where he's not uh, highly rated, but also isn't one of those players that isn't going to be able to play. And I think it'll be interesting once he commits to see how Stud, you know, does with him over the next few years. And like if if he turns out to be a fight starter and somebody they can count on, then I think you need to count this as not only a recruiting hit for Stud, but the ability to analyze and, and get that person is uh, is a hit on his on his resume. So like to me, I, this is a very encouraging thing. I know at Ohio State, like I have some Ohio State fan friends and, and family members who, you know, he'll I'll text like, "Hey, did you see this kid got offered?" And he goes, uh, "I don't give a shit about this unless it's a five star prospect." And I think that there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of um, thought like that because you're so spoiled to be having twelve top hundred players or top hundred and twenty five players that like anybody outside of that isn't an exciting prospect, but I think you have to like look individually at each prospect, um, their tape and like kind of view where they fit in the class. And as Ohio state need has a need for other offensive linemen, I think that there's a chance that this could be a really good hit down the road. Not exciting right now. Um, but maybe that, that is what stud needs to do to kind of continue to prove himself as a talent evaluator. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right on one hand, it could be if he does pan out and it's harder with offensive linemen because it always takes a long time. Like you're not going to see these kind of guys on the field immediately. So you have to be patient with it. Uh, but he, Zen Mahowski does look like a guy who could become, you know, a, a, a good power five starter in maybe two or three years. Like he has the frame for it. I think he has the skill set for it, the athleticism for it. Um, so he's a nice player. Um, I think, you, you know, you just every other, there's a standard at Ohio State that like every other position coach, I think I said this before, seems to hit in recruiting. And for some reason, it doesn't happen on the offensive line once you, once you step outside the state's borders. And maybe that's okay. Maybe there's there are enough developmental linemen in the state where you'll have a you'll have a good enough offensive line every year. I'm a little skeptical of that. I think you need to you need to balance it out a little more than they're doing at the moment. But it's this is another cycle where it's not going to happen, and it like it flashes a pretty big spotlight. I think on what's going to happen in the 2022 class, especially the tackle position. I'm very intrigued to see what goes on there because they can't. This is like the second time in three years where this has happened. Um, Paris Johnson made you feel better about it last year, but it's still, it's, it needs to be better. I don't, I don't know why it's like acceptable that it's this way. Um, but I wouldn't use that as a way to frame how you view Zen Mahowski. Cause I do think he's a good player. I also think that he's got a grade a name for an offensive lineman. So that has to like take into account too. We were talking about names yesterday um, and odd names. And I think this is a good name. It's a great name. Anybody, anyone's name begins with Z. It's strong. Yeah, and hopefully as a six foot seven, two hundred and eighty five pound prospect, people will refer to him as Big Z when he gets there. Yeah, a little bit. He kind of reminds me of Nick Petit a little bit. He's a little taller. Um but like similar kind of 
sinewy frame coming out of high school and high upside. But Nick was the number one offensive tackle in the country, and, and Zen's not that. But, you know, I think you can still find similarities between the two. Um, I just wanted to let you know, because I made Bill wait six minutes to start this podcast, because I wanted to get into a sneakers draw on the Nike app for the off-white dunks that they were putting out today, and I lost. I just wanted you to know that we waited for no reason. Awesome prayers to you, man. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was hoping I was going to get them. All right, next question. And this is like a scheme question from Seth B, but I, I'm interested in your take on it because you and I think differently about this. Um, he writes about Brian Hartline saying the other day on a Zoom call that they feel like they have the ability to be three deep in each wide receiver position. I don't think that's surprising. We know that there's a lot of like really high ceiling potential in this receiver group this year. And Seth said that got him thinking about how that could impact formations and personnel. He said last year it was J.K. Dobbins centric with a lot of 12 personnel packages, just two tight ends, one running back. He said Ryan Day shown through his years that the offense changes by what is at his disposal for that season. Is it reasonable to think that we may see more four wide receiver sets due to the fact that they feel confident in seven to nine dudes in that receiver room? Just seems like a natural progression without with having a generational quarterback and that level of talent. Now I wrote a story about OSU's 12 personnel use that went up uh, earlier this week and they ran it 20 a little over 20% of the time. So about like one out of every five plays. If you want to think of that, think of it that way. It was quite the uptick from previous years. I got a dog barking too. It's your dog. Yeah. I guess the mailman's here. Um, every day I see double digit dogs. There's like a high uptick in dog dicks. What did you just say? (laughs) There's like an uptick in dogs out there. What did you think I said? I thought you said something else. <laughs> there was like this funny YouTube video that my friends always, t- the guy, there was just people walking around New York and he goes, I, I feel like it's a real uptick in dogs. Every day I'm seeing double digit dogs and it's just like a really funny thing to say because like, what does that even mean? Uh, I don't know. I just ruined the podcast. Sorry. No, it's okay. All right. So Ohio State used 12 personnel last year more than it had in like the previous four or five years combined. It was ridiculous the way, the way they use it. And it was surprising. So my question to you is knowing what they have personnel wise, like at receiver and maybe even knowing what they're losing at running back with JK Dobbins moving on. Do you think it would be a mistake to rely on that those formations as much as they did last year? Would you like to see them do it less? Is 20% of their snaps too much? Like you're the guy who loves the skill. Everyone's really excited about these receivers. Like what, what direction do you hope to see the offense take in regards to personnel packages? Yeah, I mean, I my hope was that Ryan Day spent the weekend watching Mississippi State's offense and was just like, let's go. Um, no, I mean, because – I, I, I like the rotation of of what they do, um, and I like that they get a lot of different guys on the field, but I'm not necessarily sure that it makes m- more sense to get more of them on the field at the same time because that's not what they do, and I think Ohio State, to a certain extent, is still a run-first team. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, depending on what they do and how they employ um, Justin Fields. And the other thing, too, is that isn't like their tight end position right now the deepest it's ever been? Like it's or like deep. at least in that conversation, like they're really excited about that. Yeah, they so have like three guys they like a lot. Yeah, and if you have three tight ends that you like a lot, one of which I think is a transcendent talent, which you kind of mentioned in your story, the film room the other day. Like, I really like after what I saw Jeremy Ruckert do in the uh, Big Ten championship game. Like my entire mindset of like what that position could be is completely shifted. It's like, I don't know if you're like that, where you see something and it's just like, wow, if he's physically capable of that, then what is he physically physically capable of? Now, don't get me wrong. Jackson Smith and the Jigba, Juice Man Williams, 
there's a lot of uh, Chris Olave. There's a lot of like talent there that would be exciting to see all at once. And the thing that I like about Ohio State's receiver room too, with Garrett Wilson, which is crazy for me not to say the first time around, is that they're all kind of different in their own ways too. And like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it makes sense for them to change um, everything that they're doing about around the depth of the receiver room. But I do think that like sometimes for the sake of the rotation, we don't always see the best players, but this year all of them are supposed to be really good. So like, I want to see Fleming. I want to see Smith, the Jigba. I want to see Garrett Wilson turn into that like bona fide first round draft pick. Like I, and I don't know if there's another way to do it, Bill, outside of that. And the one thing that we just got done talking about with Ryan days is X's and O's prowess. And in the past at Ohio state, I don't know that they always, used their talent to the best of their ability so like what do you think is like the best way to get them all involved is it wait your turn put the best ones on the field and continue doing what they do or is it trying to force a way and maybe force is the right word but find a way to make sure that all of them on the field together because i don't know how anybody in the big 10 can cover those guys i just don't know if that is too far removed from what ohio state finds as has been its identity so I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. Like, and and in this question, Seth asked, "Do you think? Do you think we'll see more five wide receiver sets?" And like, that's something that Ohio State has never really done. There were a few times in um, twenty eighteen where Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were on the field together as like a two H two H receivers, and then there were two outside receivers. But almost always, Ohio State has three receivers, a running back, and a tight end on the field. Even when they spread it out and go empty, they're still a running back and a tight end on the field. So if they trot out with any regularity four wide receivers and a running back or five wide receivers that is a pretty stark departure from what they've always done um i don't think it's impossible i think you might see it sometimes but like you're talking about watching mississippi state and like going like true air raid and just like it widening the splits of the offensive line dropping back and chucking it around i don't think that's what they're going to do i think they like running the ball too much i think running the ball is too important to being a national title contender when you get down to it, they could line up and do that against Rutgers all day if they wanted to throw it around the yard. But I don't know how that benefits you down the line because you have to be able to run the ball, I think, to win a national title. And Ryan Day knows that. Um, but I do think they're going to use 12 personnel less. They used it 20% of the time last year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to like 15%, which is still a hell of a lot more than it was in, in previous years. Um, and I also think they're going to throw the ball more out of those sets. At least I hope they do. They ran it a lot last year when they played with two tight ends, it was like 75% of the time. Um, you need more balance, I think, or otherwise you come predictable, become predictable. But um, my guess is that they become too talented at receiver, much more talented and dynamic and deeper than they were last year to justify playing with two tight ends so much. So I think you do see some spread them out four wide, um, rotate a little more at receiver and play a little less with two tight ends, but, not anything that's like totally reshaping the offense from what it was last year. Yeah. I mean, also isn't five wide usually used for less talented teams to kind of even the playing field a little bit. Like I think like if Ohio state wants to be what it is, like the only way it is that way is if they hit on the ground and if they are more of a physically dominant team that can hit you over the top with the speed that they have. So I agree with everything you just said. I don't, I think it would be fun to see Ohio state do that. And like, I've always sat in the interview room complaining with you guys about like, why don't we see more young players? Cause I like love young talent and like, this might be the youngest, most talented receiver room Ohio state's ever had. We'll, we'll see that in three years, but like, I don't know if it's ever a departure 
they're good enough to depart like what you actually are and what your identity is. And I'm not sure, even though that formation sets and tendencies change from year to year based on personnel, I don't know if you want to change your identity. And I think that's kind of what would happen there if they started going more five wide. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question, we'll do quick answers on this one. Which uh, running back has the biggest impact this year? Byron Browning, Justin Hilliard, Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell, or Kavon Pope? And that question is from Brant A. Baron Browning, I think. Uh, I think he's going to play the most, and I like, I'm like. excited to see what he can do if they just let him take uh, the, the thinking process out of the game and let him get him after the quarterback. So like, I think that that would be – He's also the most talented. Team. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I want to see Taraja Mitchell, too. And, like, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel bad for him because now the roadblock of linebackers that are on this team now might be back even another year if eligibility doesn't count. Like, it just is a really kind of bad situation. The same with goes for Dallas Gant. But, like, in terms of what I'm going to see on this year, uh, Baron Browning is the answer, and Kayvon Pope has the nicest body. I think uh, Browning is my answer, too, because he'll just be on the field the most. And we're recording this on Thursday morning. We actually scheduled to talk with Al Washington, linebackers coach, later on Thursday to get some more clarity on like positions and stuff like that. But I just think Browning is like your – he's either Sam or Will on standard downs, and I think you keep him on the field on passing downs to rush the passer. So he'll be out there a lot and put positions to, to kind of stand out a little bit. Pope is the most interesting to me because I'm just curious of how they use him. I think he's got a little bit of that Pete Werner skill set to him. And I just think like you got to get him on the field. He's been in the program for, is this his third year or fourth year? Third, these 2018 guys, right? It's sort of third year. Um, I just remember last year hearing a lot about Kevon Pope, like making interceptions in practice during camp and everyone was really excited about him and he never got on the field. And I want to see if they find a way to use his, skill set I, I even wonder if they could like if they want to talk about doing more two safety stuff if Kavon Pope can be a guy they put on the field in those kind of situations because he's not the biggest linebacker I think he's like 230 pounds and I think he runs pretty well so he's the guy I'm most curious about but the guy I think has the biggest impact is Brennan Browning nice I'm excited for the next question from Anthony W got some great food questions this week rank your best fall comfort foods let's do our own personal top three Okay, do you want to go one by one, or do you just want to go all three? Yeah, we don't have to go in order. Just like say, like the three you like the most. So, all right, you go first. Okay, I'll start it off with, like, I'm a very big chili guy in the fall. I like to make my own chili because it's a, it's a meal that's uh, kind of like a set it and forget it kind of deal on the slow cooker, but then it's also something you make enough of it, and it lasts for a couple of days. And I guess you'd put soup in that same kind of category, but I would separate soup. So chili is my first. Chili was the very first thing I thought of. The very first thing that I thought of was pizza. I don't know this if that's... Is a fall comfort food? I don't know, man. What is the number one activity that you like to do in the fall? Watch football and have pizza and, like, a nice warm pizza. And I don't know if it, like, counts as, like, having to be, like, the festive fee- leaves falling, like, pumpkin spiced theme. But, like, the number one thing in the world is having a a nice warm slab waiting for you on the counter when you've got the biggest game of the day coming on. Like, I mean, like there's nothing more comforting to me than having pizza in my home. And part of the reason why I have to go on this little bit of a weight management program is because it's like, I really enjoy a good pizza with my number one favorite fall activity, which is consuming football. Like, I I think that's the easiest answer. And like, I know that it doesn't really fall in line with the typical thing. And like chili is also on my list because I think that's the obvious one, but like, what's the one thing that you could not live without in the fall? And I think pizza is the slam dunk answer for me. 
think we might have very different answers for this then. Pizza's like all the time. I don't associate pizza with any kind of season. I want pizza every day, all the day, yeah. every day, all day. No, I know. I get it. But like, I just feel like I, if you took pizza out of the equation, despite the fact that it's a staple in everyone's diet all the time, I would feel the most lost in the fall because it's something that I just instinctually pair with the activity. All right. Give me another one. Chili's my other one. Okay. Uh, I I like chili and soup are very similar. I do. I like I, it's we're it's October first. We're recording this. We're officially in soup season, and I'm very excited about that. Love a nice soup, a hearty soup. Even I'll even need a vegetable soup. Um, we'll mix in some ram like sort of, um, blackened chicken ramen soup that we'll make. It's all deadly, and this is the time of year for like October to like the end of February is soup season, and and that's when I'm kind of in my bag a little bit in the kitchen. I, I like that a lot. Um, but that's an obvious one. One that was not, I think is so obvious and something that's like more of a treat. We might have it like once or twice in the fall is shepherd's pie. You ever had shepherd's pie? No, I, I, I might've had it, but I, I'm on top of my head. Don't know what it is. So it's, I think it's Scottish. I think it's where like the, the idea originates, but it's just, um, we use lamb. We'll buy some lamb. You, you cook that like you would cook ground meat and it's just like lamb and veggies and seasoned really well. And then it's like over the top of it is baked like a mixture of like mashed potatoes and cheese. It's like kind of creamy, but it crusts on the top a little bit. Mm. And then it's it's sort of pie-like in texture. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. But once you get past that like baked baked layer on the top, it's like very creamy mashed potatoes and then like really savory lamb and vegetables. It's awesome. I don't know. Okay, that's that sounds good. I don't know if this is going to count because it's more of a side. But like I really, really, really love stuffing. Yep. And I feel like I never eat it in the summer at all. And like I know that people just associate it with um, – thanksgiving but like there have been times where like i'll go to the store buy stovetop in the fall and just like make it like in a muffin pan and like make it with some some um even put some onions in there and like make it a little crunchier and add some flavor to it like i feel like warm stuffing on a fall day is like chicken soup for the soul you know like i, yeah. I don't know does that count it's a side um I think it counts. yeah yeah and like i know that pizza was like an unorthodox <laughs> um <laughs> I also really like French onion soup. Yep, I don't know if that I, I I I order French as you know <laughs> if they have it. I, I'm a very big French onion person. Um, but like stuffing to me is the quintessential, like in that category that you were kind of describing when my annoying pizza answer came out. Like that would be my number one. I think then if we're like in the category of just fall. 
I think another one, like these are, I think you think of like, like really it's like hearty, like rich dishes when you think of the fall stuff that'll fill you up. And uh, there was like a follow up question from an Apple reviewer, uh, Ryan. He asked, what's your take on the baked spaghetti? Is it better or is it an unnecessary step in a quick dinner? An unnecessary extra step, step in making a quick dinner. I feel like it's more like lasagna ish, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be lasagna. Like I, I think, like you can actually like bake like the spaghetti like the no I know but it, it comes yeah. out like tasting more lasagna ish that yeah way. or like a ziti yeah. yeah 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 no I think it's not unnecessary I think it's amazing and there's nothing better than having that nice layer of chi on the top you know little crispy action um, I I I would almost say like it's not it takes an extra step and it's not as easy but like I feel like I would prefer that because like, I like love lasagna and I love baked ziti yeah that's my preference too I, I don't think it's unnecessary I would I would take that step every time I like it. Um, all right. We got a lot more questions to get through. So let's shorten up our answers if we can. So we don't go an hour and a half. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I, I like to talk just as much as you do. Richie K asks, what's going on with Tyreek Johnson? He's a five-star consensus top 50 player who seems to have just disappeared. That happens, man. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like it, it just ha- happens, which is why, again, somebody might use this as a way to say, um, look, see, stars don't matter. Well, like, this is, like, the way to show that they do because if you have 15 five-star prospects and a guy like Tyreek Johnson disappears and you have 14 other options, and, like, rather than having the one five-star prospect that your entire season is banking on like they do at most programs, Ohio State has the luxury of allowing this or, or surviving this when it does happen. So, like, you know, what is going on? Like, I don't know specifics of, like, why he hasn't really been in the mix, but, like, since he got here, it just kind of seems like he's been behind the eight ball a little bit. He was recruited by Kerry Combs. When he finally got here, Tabor Johnson was his position coach, and then Tabor Johnson left after a year, and Jeff Hathley was his position coach, and then Jeff Hathley left after a year, and now Kerry Combs is back. And I think that kind of turnover can really impact the player's progression, can really impact your mindset, because you build these relationships from recruiting, and then that relationship's not there. I'm not saying that's what's at play, but I would my, my hunch would be that that's part of the equation here. Um, I don't think like the book has been written on him. Like you said, he is a five-star prospect. Um, I think there is a relationship with Kerry Combs that maybe can be rekindled a little bit and try to bring the, bring the best out of Tyreek Johnson. And the reason I think that is like Marcus Williamson, who is in a very similar kind of boat, um, I believe came into the same recruiting class as Tyreek Johnson, said when Kerry Combs came back, like Marcus said, he felt rejuvenated. Like he was a little down on the dumps, was not happy with how his career was progressing. And then Kerry Combs' ball of energy shows back up and Marcus Williamson like found, found a different motivation or a new motivation to become the player that we thought he could become when, when Ohio State first recruited him. And now it looks like he's going to be a starter in that nickel role. Now, we have not heard similar things about Tyree Johnson, but there's also Sean Wade in front of him, Cam Brown at Seven Banks, who played a lot last year. So I, I don't think it's over for Tyreek. I think maybe this a similar kind of thing could happen with him. Um, but he's in a tough spot because they have three corners. And, and I guess you could rotate four, but rotating four seems like an awful lot. Uh, to do, especially when one of them's a, a first-round pick like Sean Wade. But you know, whether it's this year or, or next year, if he if he sticks around to that point, I, I still think there's an opportunity for Kerry Combs to get the best out of a guy like Tyreek. Aiden K is next up. He asked six questions and also answered a couple of them in in the <laughs> forum. So we appreciate that. I, I picked two of his because we just couldn't answer six. So uh, we'll do actually we'll do this defensive back one first because it kind of dovetails off the last one. He says, will Seven Banks be an upgrade over Damon Arnett like I believe he will be? He has great athleticism and size, and the swagger element will be there. But I'm more optimistic in the fact that he's closer to where Arnett was last year, sooner in his career. 
meaning he's a clear 2021 first-round corner that this defense needs. That's high praise for seven banks. Are you on the seven banks is going to be a first-round corner train? I'm not on the it's going to be an upgrade over Damon. I, I don't know. Like, I could he be eventually? Yeah, it's the same thing we always talk about here. Like, it's like people leave and then people step up and they're as good as the people they left before. But I never, like, am in the camp of expecting that to happen when Arnett – didn't Arnett have some pretty crazy stats last year? He only gave up one touchdown all year or something crazy like that? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, how do you upgrade over that? I, the hope is that he's 90% as good. And, like, I know people are high on seven banks. He's made some pretty big special teams plays. And I do think under um, Kerry Combs' tutelage, which is, like, a really cool word to me, tutelage, um, there's a chance that he will be in that position. But, like, do I expect that? I don't know if I expect it. I'm, I'm buying seven bank stock for sure. Um and I think I might have written my final thoughts column on Sunday that it wouldn't surprise me that much if he became a first-rounder after this year because that's kind of happened with this position at this program in the past. But I'm hesitant to assume it. I do think he will be a first-round pick. But if I had to pick this year or next year, I'd probably lean a little more toward next year when like seven banks in the 2021 fall season could be Ohio State's number one corner and then go to the NFL and be a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Second question from Aiden was, if Justin Fields was named the freshman starter over Jake Fromm at Georgia in 2018, do the Bulldogs win one, two, or no national championships between then and now? One. One. I think they win one. I don't think he wins as a true freshman, but I think he maybe could have won one last year with that team. Yep. And have him in position to be a favorite again this year. Yep. Brett F., uh, I don't know if you're going to have a great answer to this because you're not a breakfast meat guy, but he says, uh, he says, rank breakfast meats, and have you ever had Geta, it's spelled G-O-E-T-T-A. I haven't. Have you? I have not. I looked it up. It's like It looks like it's a Cincinnati thing, and it looks very similar to Scrapple, which is something I grew up with in Philadelphia. But then I was reading articles that were like, these two, things, these two things are not alike. Um, but I've never the had word it. Scrapple. Like, I, like, it's like the funniest thing. What is that? Just like a bunch of meat on the on – the, like, what is that? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's cornmeal and meat scraps. Scrapple. Scrapple. Sausage, sausage-like, but a little crumblier. I'm looking at Geta on Google Images right now, and I have had this before. You have. I didn't know what it was called, but like, yeah, that's legit. You like it? Okay, I've yeah. not, not had it. Um, so it's not my rankings. My number one breakfast meat is pork roll, which is also an East Coast thing that I don't know if many people in Ohio have had it. Taylor ham is also, what I think, what it's called. But I grew up calling it pork roll, and it's delicious. I don't know what it is. It's just a big old roll of pig meat, but it's really good. Is kielbasa a breakfast meat? I think it can be. I've had it. I've had a kielbasa egg and cheese before. Yeah, I like it's like comes in like a horseshoe type. Yep. Yeah. My parents make that with breakfast and I find that to be quite good. Yeah. I'm a um, big fan. That's a good one. I think this is a good opening for me to say that like bacon is probably the number one undisputed breakfast meat. And I think that when you put it specifically in the bacon breakfast meat category, that's where it belongs. I think I've said this on the podcast and to you before, but I don't like how bacon has kind of creeped its way into everything. And like, I like bacon, but I'm not obsessed with it. And I don't want it on my hamburger. Every time I have a hamburger, I don't want it on my pizza. I don't want it in my chocolate. Like the way people have taken bacon and like made it like the universal thing that has to be in everything, I think is a little bit overkill because bacon is a very dominant flavor. And every single time bacon is on something, that's all I taste. And, like, it's a good taste, but it's not the taste that I crave all the time. So, like, I don't know what happened in the last five, ten years 
where bacon has become like the most dominant ingredient in all of cooking. But like, I think that like bacon is best when it's a breakfast meat. I agree with that, but I also only prefer, I only really like bacon as a breakfast meat when it's on a sandwich. Like I don't like making like scrambled eggs with a side of bacon. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah. I don't know why that's different for me, but I, I do like a bacon, egg and cheese for sure. Yeah. And like, I think that you and I, our biggest fundamental food difference is like how we like our breakfast sandwiches. And like, yeah. I like sausage and I like bacon and I like kielbasa and I like getta. I've never had scrapple before, but like sign me up. I don't like breakfast meat on my sandwich which is kind of a weird take, I think. And I don't know how that came up with. I think my dad used to give me egg and cheese when I was a kid. And that was just kind of like what I grew up with. Um, but like, and it's not that I don't like it. Like if it's on there, I'll eat it. But like, I prefer to not taste the meat as the main ingredient of the sandwich. I want to taste the bread and the cheese the most. It's an interesting perspective and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But even I think, even though I think you're nuts. Uh, yeah, pork yeah. roll is number one for me. A, a nice sausage patty is probably number two. And then I think out of sentimentality more than anything else, Scrapple would be number three. Yeah, I don't know like what pork roll is. I've never had it. I don't know if that's like an East Coast thing. It's a but, Jersey like, thing. Also, yeah. also, like you, one of your favorite sandwiches in, in the world is like the sausage McMuffin with only sausage. So I thought that would be your number one. No. Like a sausage uh, patty. Yeah, the sausage sausage McMuffin is the best sandwich in fast food. Um, but my favorite breakfast sandwich is a pork roll, egg and cheese, either on a nice bagel or a Kaiser roll. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I don't know. Like we worked together for five years, and we never went into the East Coast eating tour that you could show me around, and that's like one of the biggest regrets of my life. We'll do it. We'll do it. I, I feel like I need to fly to Columbus, and then you and I have to eat our way through Pennsylvania the right way. Don't don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> All right, uh, move on from that. Robert S. asks, can either of you talk me out of expecting Zach Harrison to be an All-American and as productive as year three, Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa? Since I get the year two thing, but if Larry Johnson ever produces a consensus All-American game-wrecking true sophomore defensive end, can't Zach be the guy? Um, I'll let you answer that, but I'll quickly, it's like to answer the second part, I think Nick Bosa is the best one he's ever had. Um, in terms of where he was coming out of high school and what, like what he was in his second year. And I don't think Zach's there yet. Um, but do you think Zach Harrison in year two can be as good as those guys were in year three? The thing about Zach Harrison is that he's a better athlete than those guys, isn't he? Freakier. Is he a, yeah. is he a freakier athlete? Like, but the eye test, like though he did come in and have sacks last year and contributed as a true freshman, like if we're comparing him to like Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa, who are two of the best players in the NFL right now, and Chase Young, who um, had one of the best single years ever, like it's like hard for me to like get into that space when I don't think that he like looked as good as the freshman version of the Bosas. Um, does that mean like during the offseason he couldn't have just like had this huge monster offseason? We didn't see him in spring, and then he's just going to show up as an animal and like do that? Absolutely, but like I just like I don't know what it is in Ohio state land, but like these questions are so it's like back to back now with like, is seven banks going to be a first round draft pick? And it's just like the expectation. And I think that's what makes this program so fun to follow and cover. But like, it's just like, what are reasonable expectations is like putting him in the, in the same sentence as a Bosa brother, like reasonable because of his recruiting profile and his ability to be a freaky athlete. Or like, do you just kind of like let it play out and hope that that's what happens? Because it's like, I'm not ready to put him in the same sentence as Bosa because who, who would? Bosa's were like transcendent once in a hundred year players for Ohio State. Like, I, I don't know like how to like 
I don't know how to put that in perspective. Like, I'm not going to try to talk him out that, like, Harrison will be good. Like, even if he has a 10-sack year, like, depending on what that looks like, it still might not be good enough. Like, he could have an amazing year, and it still might not be Bosa. Right? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, like, those guys. Um, Joey's Joey's most productive year was a sophomore year, and then his junior year, he was just getting triple-teamed every every game and, and wasn't as productive, but he was still dominant, and, like, like the focus was on him. I don't know if – I think that might be out there for Zach this year. Not quite the same level, but I, I do think he's the guy where, like, the eyes are going to go to and, like, you focus your protection on Zach Harrison. But I'm not expecting him in year two to be what any of those three guys were in their third year. That's a very high bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, Joshua C. Is Joshua C. the guy who was tweeting at us about getting a question in? I think, I think he was. And, hey, Josh, thanks so much for making it. He says, as Ohio State fans, fairly or unfairly, we were expecting them to go undefeated and win every game by at least double digits to, and to skate into the playoff. After watching Oklahoma and LSU lose their first games, it makes me wonder, if Ohio State loses in the regular season, what do you think is going to be the position group most likely to cause that loss? Uh, we're looking at each other. <laughs> I think I would – I'm just trying to th- – like, I guess I would – I would say the secondary. Not linebacker? No, I think their linebackers are good. I think the linebackers get a lot of shit that's kind of undeserved. Um, maybe. I don't know. If like some team comes out and just like play actions them to death and throws the ball over the linebacker says, yeah, maybe. I guess I could see that. I mean, isn't that kind of what happened in the Iowa game? Yeah, it's what happened in the Iowa game. It's what happened in um, the Oklahoma game in 2017. Um, but I also I would hope that they learn their lesson from that because like it didn't really happen last year. It happened on some plays because it's bound to happen on some plays. But I don't think it happened regularly. Um, I just think if a team's going to beat Ohio State, it's going to be because they can throw the ball on the outside on them. Otherwise, I'm not sure how you beat them. And if that happens, that means there were some breakdowns in the secondary. So, what about the gut of the defensive line, Bill? Yeah, that's a good one too. And there's actually a question about that, like with Haskell Garrett from Eric Emmy said with Haskell Garrett's status unknown and like Teron Vincent, we don't know what his status is um, for this season either. He asked if there's going to be more three, four defensive fronts because of that. And I don't think that'll be the case, but I do think it raises some questions about the interior of the defensive line. And, and I guess with that Ohio state's ability to, to stop the run, because they were so good at stopping the run last year. I think they were number one rush defense last year. Um, I think that's a good one. I think like middle of the defense is a good one, whether that's defensive tackles, like through middle linebacker back to, to deep safety. Um, and that's kind of a broader answer than just one position group. Um, but I think you could look there too. It's whatever it is. I think it's on defense. I just don't think there's going to be shortcomings on offense that cause them to lose a game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's defensively for sure. I mean, yeah, we think that this could be the best offense ever. I mean, maybe running back if things don't pan out the right way is the only one on offense that would like make me think. Um, but like, I think interior defensive line in terms of stopping the run, linebackers and coverage, and new players in the secondary are what give me pause. But like, also you could talk yourself into all three of those position groups being awesome. Yeah. So like, um, I guess that's a good chance. That's a good response for somebody who's expecting his team to win a national title this year. All right, let's do some more rapid fire. G nilly nine. When does your pizza taste the best? Right away, late night seconds, or next day leftover lunch? Uh, right away. I think it depends on the pie, but my my overall answer would be right away. Um, but I mean, I do all three. The problem is, is that leftover sure. lunch is usually gone for me. Like I don't, it's already gone by then. I do think leftover lunch the next day is better than late night seconds. 
Yeah, like I don't know if you've ever done this before, Genelli, or I know you have, Landis, but like I'll order a pie around five and I'll order one that's too big to consume on my own. Um, and then I will like smash it till I'm pulverized and then like open the windows, get the cool breeze in, throw on like a Monday night football game, have Collingsworth voice in the background, pass out till 11 o'clock and then eat the rest at 11 and then go back <laughs> to bed, which is like if people are hearing that and you think I'm disgusting, like I know I'm working on it. <laughs> All right, let's do two more questions. Uh, we'll, Josh M asked us one about the running backs comparing 2017 to 2018. We kind of dug into that last week, so we'll skip that question. Uh, we'll do this one from Brandon L., and then we'll finish up with one more. Brandon asked, uh, given how weird this season is going to be, plus the financial strains, it seems schools are going to be reluctant to fire coaches, limiting opportunities for potentially decent non-Power 5 jobs that might be attractive to coaches like Al Washington, Tony Alford, and Kevin Wilson. What are the odds that this whole staff is back next year i think that's a really good question and super like um thought provoking like i had never really thought about that um i don't know landis if i buy that people aren't going to get fired this year like i think that like it's an extenuating circumstance and um you know there's that built-in excuse no spring football uh COVID could cause cancellations of games not complete seasons like i don't know like what the future is but under the assumption that they play a full season, I'm not sure that that's a cause for for keeping a job. Like, I mean, I, I think people are going to get fired. Um, I, I think, think power that, like, five coaches are going to be fired. I think he makes a good point, and he 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 specifically said non power five. Yeah, um, I think some of those schools might be in more of a financial bind that they won't be able to afford to be able to pay buy out, out and yeah. a new coach. But like, if USC wants to fire fire Clay Helton, like they'll fire Clay Helton. Exactly. Yeah. So like I. I guess it's like if you are like thinking that Al Washington's just waiting for the Bowling Green job to open, then maybe that might be another year. But I, I think I would buy that like the the odds of it staying intact for 2021 are probably the highest it's ever been at Ohio State just because of the circumstance. But I'm not necessarily sure that there isn't going to be a lot of movement in the coaching ranks, especially if these teams start playing eight, nine, ten games. Yeah, I think there'll be more the the carousel will be more robust than than we're probably expecting it to be. But I also don't know like Jeff Halfley going from coordinator to a power five job was a little surprising. I'm not sure anyone on the staff is going to get that opportunity, even if it were to open um, after this year. And because I do think that the group of five jobs will be a little limited on what might open up, um, I think the odds of the staff being together next year are pretty high, barring as as is asking the question like really substandard job performance. Um, this season so I think it's pretty good I, I do think for the most part we'll see the staff back next year yep last question from Scott B where I'm going to end on the happiest of uh, possible notes he asked what are the chances we see Dewan Jones catch a touchdown out of a jumbo goal line package before his time is up in Columbus I'll let you answer this question because I'm going to go uh, light a cigarette somebody it's somebody watched the Chiefs game the other night <laughs> that was beautiful yeah I did you light a cigarette for that one too yeah that was pretty good yeah Landis doesn't smoke cigarettes. No comment. Um, yeah, what are the chances of it? I don't know. Ohio State doesn't really get cute. Yeah, they don't <laughs> get cute like that. I really wish they would. They did do in 2018. They did some um, heavier packages with three offensive linemen, and I think it was Wyatt Davis was the extra guy they brought in. Um, it's harder to do in the NFL – in the NFL, like there are jersey numbers associated with it. Like in the NFL, a guy like Eric Fisher can come in and declare himself eligible and then line up and go out for a pass. And I still think even though he has to declare himself eligible, it's easier to be sneaky with that kind of stuff. In college, if DeWan Jones wanted to come into the 
play and be an eligible receiver, he'd have to change his jersey number. It's like between numbers like 50 and 79, I think, like aren't allowed to catch passes. And if you want to do that, you have to put on a different jersey and then declare yourself eligible and then go out there. And if Dewan Jones trots out there with a number 85 jersey on, I don't think you sneak up on teams that way. So um, the chances of it, I think, are pretty low. But um, I know what I'm going to ask Ryan Day during his press availability on Friday. Yep. All right, we'll wrap up there. Thank you guys for the questions uh, again this week. Again, theathletic.com slash 4-6 gets you $1 off. You can ask questions for next week's episode. Uh, we are three weeks, just about three weeks away from Ohio State's opener against Nebraska on October 24th. We're very much looking forward to that. Enjoy uh, watching some of the football this weekend, some big games this weekend, right? Some entertaining games this weekend. George Auburn. We, yeah, I can't wait. That's, that's the one, right? That's the one, I think, yeah. Alabama plays a and I, I believe. Is that, is that also on the agenda? I have to go look. Why don't you pull up your LSU schedule? LSU uh, TV. Oh, man. I can't find it now. You don't have that bookmarked right away? Not on this computer. I do. Here it is. LSUfootball.net. Yeah. Georgia Auburn. I'm excited for Florida, South Carolina. Florida, South Carolina. Yeah. Old Miss, Kentucky. Yeah. Boston College. Boston College is undefeated with Jeff Halfley and their host in North Carolina. On Saturday afternoon, that's an interesting game too. So, there's some stuff to watch. LSU is uh, is hurting; it's got to go play Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt's wearing cool helmets. So, you know that's going to give them uh, a little Vandy light up. On I them. think. Yeah, it says Vandy's got the Nashville skyline on it. Pretty sweet. You know what is also kind of a sneaky game, and I don't know if anybody gives a crap, but the Friday night game is going to be awesome. Like BYU Louisiana Tech. Yes, like I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Clemson's playing Virginia. I don't know if Virginia has much of a pulse, but maybe they can give uh, give Clemson a game. So, yeah, there's some good games to watch with three weeks from Ohio State and, and some more opportunity to get an idea of like where Ohio State stands at the national pecking order and uh, more reason to get excited about the Buckeyes being on the field in three weeks. So enjoy the weekend, enjoy watching the games, and we'll talk to you guys next week. I guess that's why they call them dollar bees.